This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 240. And I have uh, Dr. Carrie Rigoni joining me today, a chiropractor and Pilates instructor from over in Perth. She's also Perth's only integrative neuroimmunology trained practitioner. And we will talk about what that means during our chat. So, Today, I'm going to be focused on babies and kids with a little bit for the parents as well. This is uh, really, really helpful for carers, parents, teachers, uh, babysitters, anyone who has babies and kids in their midst, because if we're all looking out for our kids and their best opportunities to thrive, then our kids have a much better chance of faring super well later in life. Uh, So we're talking about a few things today, the vagus nerve in particular, what it is uh, with a really great 101 explanation, how it can impact our health and how it can uh, be less than optimal in its function in our babies and kids and what that actually looks like. So this is a fantastic episode if you feel and uh, parents often have a sixth sense where they just know something's a little bit off and they can't often place what it is. Uh, And if you feel that something's a little bit off, maybe your kid's just not focused on anything and can't focus on anything. Maybe they have sensory processing issues. Maybe uh, they're challenged in some way developmentally uh, and uh, you want to look into perhaps anxiety or they startle really easily, Uh, today's show is going to be fantastic. So we look at that, we look at how vagus nerve training and tone exercises can really support our children's health and Carrie steps us through the whole process. We also look a little bit at uh, babies and how they are... um, fed uh, both emotionally and uh, physically through nutrition in terms of how that's going to help them thrive. It's a really great show. Uh, I'm really happy to kick off three or four weeks that we've got coming up on parent and kid topics. Uh, So settle in. If those are the kinds of topics that are important to you, I would love it if you would share this with other people you know it's important to as well, uh, because I feel like you're going to get a lot of value from this show. I was particularly interested in the points in the show which Carrie steps us through some of the factors, symptoms that might suggest vagus nerve support is needed for our babies Um, because I'm pretty sure, I know I didn't know back in the day, uh, that a lot of people wouldn't know what to look for. And so it was really, really useful to go over that today. So uh, we're going to kick into that episode in just a little minute. But for now, I just want to make mention of our wonderful show supporter, Nordic Naturals, uh, who have a fantastic range of fish oils, voted number one in purity, freshness and high concentration, as well as in sustainability and transparency. Uh, I am a member of something called Consumer Labs. Uh, It's an online membership you can just pay once a year to receive a whole bunch of reports on supplements, how they fare, how different brands are performing, uh, what they say is on the bottle versus what's in the bottle. They do a whole bunch of testing. It's a fantastic website and I was thrilled when I was just doing my due diligence, even though this is a supplement I take myself personally and my son on the advice of two integrative doctors uh, that we both see, one a paediatrician and one for adults, uh, I always, always, always do an extra set of vetting whenever we accept a show supporter uh, for the podcast because integrity and values are everything to me and I want to make sure that anything we recommend, uh, even if I take it myself, has just had some extra checks and balances. And these guys deliver in spades. And I think that can be really reassuring in a time 
where when, you know, another big documentary comes out making some sweeping statements about everything being evil and horrible in a particular area. So fish oil was recently demonized and fair enough. Look, there are some hideous practices and I've talked about some of the impurities you often find, some of the oxidization you often find in fish oils in the previous two shows, as well as some of the hideous and completely lacking in transparency fishing methods that are used to procure fish uh, and all of the bycatch Uh, that's implied in um, taking something supposedly for our health. So we know that with low-tox principles, we don't just want to do something that's going to benefit us. We want it to benefit and at least not harm and put backwards the planet as well. And uh, I'm very proud to say that Nordic Naturals is one of the people leading the way in the best way to do things from boat to bottle, as they say. And you have some really great resources that I've linked to in the show notes if you wanted to check those out. And I've also linked to a fantastic article by Barry Sears, PhD, that steps you through in the most nerdy biochemical way possible, the differences between EPA and DHA and why both are supportive to us and how they're supportive in very different ways. So I know uh, with something like mold illness, for example, where you have a multi-system inflammatory response to an environmental toxin like mold, Uh, My heart went crazy, uh, as did my brain. And the beautiful thing is that the EPA is extremely nourishing to the brain and the DHA is extremely protective of the heart and uh, artery walls. So, um, and, and by doing things like lowering triglycerides as well. So you want both. And unfortunately, as you will start to see, if you do a little bit of research in this area, a lot of supplements have either very high DHA. So a lot of the algae based supplements, for example, that don't come from fish, um, uh, and very, very little EPA. And then some have very high EPA and very low DHA in the fish oil uh, based uh, oils, uh, omega 3s. So you really want to make sure you're getting a good whack of both, uh, whether you're taking a maintenance dose for good health or whether you've been encouraged by your doctor to take a therapeutic dose at higher levels. Uh, the beautiful thing about the Nordic Naturals Arctic D cod liver oil that my son and I take is that we get a super high uh, level of both EPA and DHA. We get that excellent vitamin D in there as well, which we both have to be on too. So I love that it all just comes in the one package. Uh, So Nordic Naturals has offered us a giveaway of a duo pack of their capsules and the lemon-flavoured fish oil. If They've said also if you would prefer to not receive the lemon-flavoured one, then you can actually have the unflavoured one. It's also not fishy. Uh, And because of the purity of the production, uh, there is no oxygen in the production. Um, You don't have those horrible fishy burps and that kind of repeating fish vibe uh, for for hours after you've taken your dose. It's extremely fresh, uh, very easy to take uh, and uh, not cloying or um, nausea creating like I know a lot of fish oils were in the early days when I started um, I was going to say fishing around. Oh gosh, that's uh, that's getting dangerously close to a dad joke. So I'm going to finish it there. You can enter the competition in the show notes, lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on today's show. All you have to do is pop a note in the comments to let me know you'd like to win it. And I will be announcing the winners next week. Enjoy this deep dive into the vagus nerve and vagus nerve health for our babies and kids, what to look out for and how to support them to their best health. Hello, Carrie. How are you? Hello. I'm well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this show. Uh, I love chiropractic. Huge fan myself. I think it's a wonderful thing to have in the mix with one's health team. Uh, And I'm always curious to know when uh, practitioners and health professionals choose particular modalities and and things to bring into their own education. why why chiropractic for you and of course you have the pilates aspect as well what made you think those two things were going to be what could see you supporting people the best way you knew how I um to be honest I really just fell into chiropractic um I 
I had neck pain when I was a teenager and I saw my family Cairo and it helped. Um, I think when I went into Cairo school compared to when I graduated, uh, I had a very different idea of what chiropractic was and I love that. Um, but to be honest, where I got to today was mostly due to my own health issues. So, um, you know, all through chiropractic school, it's a five-year degree. In my fourth year, um, I got really unwell um, with burnout and, um, you know, I got labelled with chronic fatigue syndrome. And I kind of had tried everything that I knew in terms of healthy lifestyle. I was, um, you know, seeing a chiropractor myself regularly. I was doing everything that I thought I should be doing to improve my health. And I just wasn't getting there. Um, and that's when I discovered the vagus nerve and all of its power. And when I started working with a focus on my vagus nerve, I really healed my own health. And so now where I'm at in practice is very much inspired by what helped my, me and my own health journey. Um, and I really want to help parents in particular um, raise healthy kids. So, you know, kids don't have to go through chronic fatigue or any of these chronic diseases that um, I had to go through in my 20s. Mm, so interesting, isn't it? How often our um, mess becomes our message. Yeah. <laughs> I see it time and again. And I was reading that you were Perth's only integrative neurology trained practitioner. What is that? <laughs> so really that's just a label that um, describes one of my certifications. I'm a, um, I'm a nerd self-confessed nerd I love mm -hmm. studying I'm always doing some kind of certification um, not many people have done that um, integrative neuroimmunology purely because um, the man who is running it hasn't ran it for a few years mm -hmm. so integrative neuroimmunology is all about how the brain and the body work together and how the immune system affects that so makes sense um, yeah the crux of it is you know how can we get your brain and vagus nerve working better Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So it was kind of the complement to the chiropractic and the Pilates. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh, so I think we need to do a bit of a 101 for people who might not be across what the vagus nerve is, uh, especially people who have suffered a lot of different things for a long time. It can really be one of the things that unlocks a new chapter in healing. So I would love for you to break that down for us before we got into more nitty gritty. Yeah. Um, so the vagus nerve is actually the largest nerve in the body and it runs from your brainstem. It runs through your neck, through your thorax, your chest, um, through your abdomen and digestive organs and basically all the way down to your pelvic floor. And it has all these little fingers kind of like <laughs> extensions through all of your organs. Um, and the vagus nerve has two main roles. It does have a role in telling the body what to do. So um, some of the nerves, you know, the messages travel from the brain through the vagus nerve into the organs that it needs to tell what to do. But 80% of the nerves actually tell the brain what's happening in the body. So it's a very sensing organ and it has a large role to play in how we manage stress and how we are able to pull ourselves out of the stress response. So the vagus nerve works by, um, you know, where our nervous system is always scanning the environment for um, threats or dangers. So, you know, that naturally it just wants to keep us alive. But what happens is then if you get into a stress response, the vagus nerve, a strong, healthy vagus nerve will pull you back out of that. So you can dip back into the parasympathetic, the healing nervous system state. A vagus nerve that is struggling, well, you'll probably stay longer in the, the stressed out state. So you might feel like you're in constant fight or flight, that you're restless, you can't sit still. Um, and this seems to be the biggest part of the vagus nerve that relates to health because we know that chronic sympathetic dominance or chronic stress states lead to a lot of um, negative health outcomes. Absolutely. And uh, do you find that this looks different from uh, adults to kids to babies? Like how is that sympathetic um, uh, uh, dominance 
different in the different ages? You know, um, the difference uh, with babies compared to adults is adults have a, um, like their nervous, the rest of their nervous system has developed. So, you know, we've got, as adults, we've got the prefrontal cortex, our rational brain that says, hey, there's actually not a threat, you know, you can come out of that stress response. We've got other areas of our brain that work with the vagus nerve to inhibit that stress response or at least to um, reduce it as much as possible. Babies have such an immature nervous system with an underdeveloped brain. So they tend to be, um, I would say, more dysregulated, so to speak. You know, like they, um, babies with low vagal tone will likely... Um, startle more regularly they may have poor sleep um, they may need you know the koala babies that just need constant contact with um, their caregiver because that's their, their point of safety right like if their brain isn't developed enough to know that they're genuinely safe then they look to their caregiver um, for that safety so babies who have a vagus nerve that is struggling um, tend to be the higher needs babies, so to speak. Um, and I don't love that label, but, um, you know, lots of mums use that, you know, the clingy babies and they, they need lots of um, cuddles and attention and don't really want anyone except their primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. And what can uh, ignoring that do later on for a baby? Like let's just, um, what I'm basically trying to get at is let's say you don't realise it's a vagal tone issue that you need to look at and support and then you read a baby book and you say, you know, you think, oh, but I need to get them into a routine and keep settling them in their cot until they finally get to sleep uh, and they don't get that content. Does does that sometimes cause more dysregulation uh, into their childhood? Yeah, unfortunately, what the science is saying is that if you're, um, this is any child, no matter what their vagus nerve is doing, if they're, um, you know, you're trying to train them Mm. in terms of self-regulating, falling asleep on their own, um, learning to feel safe being alone, even though babies naturally and, um, you know, physiologically can't do that. Mm. Um, you know, they've done a lot of studies on that that shows that these babies still have really high cortisol levels. But what happens is they learn to not ask for help because they know that they, they learn that their caregiver isn't going to come and help them. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. So it does lend itself to um, a baby maintaining a stress response though they may not be explicitly um, displaying it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is the part where I fess up to being one of those mums who 12 years ago, two days into having my bassinet right next to the bed, thought I really am never going to be able to sleep like this because I was having sleep issues and vagal tone dysregulation myself, even though I didn't know it at the time. Uh, And uh, our bub did sleep. Um, in his own room from the get-go. Uh, what are some of the things we can do? Because I'm really conscious of this uh, when we get wonderful advice like this on the show, I know for a fact there are going to be like half the audience going, oh, crap, I've ruined my child. Uh, same goes for breastfeeding and, you know, missing out on all the good gut flora. It's like, well, we also have to know what to do later on down the track to um, mitigate some of that uh, um, potential dysregulation caused by the way we did things as a product of our culture or being unable to do something differently. You know what I'm trying to say? So let's make all those mums, including me, feel really good right now about how... Um, yeah, it's terrible. like I hate bringing it up because I know it will induce guilt in a lot of mums and it's not about that. And Which you know, is why I go head on and acknowledge yeah. that and go, let's just not feel guilty. Let's look at what we can all do, whether it was from the get go or from wherever yeah. we're at now. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, there's this science versus reality too, mm. you know, like, um, if you as a mum can't sleep when your baby's in the room, then mm. you need sleep to totally function in the day. You know, there are so many nuances, so it's never black and white. Yeah. Um, however, the really, 
the really good thing about the vagus nerve is that, well, the, the nervous system as a whole is we know that it's very plastic. We can change it at any time. Um, so just by, you know, maybe doing some cry it out before you, you know, knew that that research existed or um, whatever may be that you feel like you didn't do perfectly in hindsight, um, the vagus nerve is, um, yeah, you can influence that any time of day. Um, so it doesn't really matter. You could do that until, you know, you're a hundred years old. It's, you could literally, it's like, a, it's basically like a muscle that you tone um, and work yeah. out. Yeah. 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 Mm. So, um, yeah, while we, when we know better, we can do better. Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly not, uh, you know, what I did when my baby was zero to three months is going to affect them forever and ever. Um, there are things that you can definitely do here and now straight away. Nice. And so in terms of uh, the um, child, let's just say a five to 12 year old with poor vagal tone, what, how can that present that might give parents a clue that that's something we need to address? Yeah, the most common comment that I get in my practice um, from mums in this age group is that they, they just know in their mother's intuition that something's not quite right with their child. So that might manifest as, um, you know, just noticing that they're more dysregulated than their peers or their siblings, you know, just can't pull themselves out of a stress response or, you know, once they get started, they really struggle um, and they need a lot of co-regulation. Um, they could be kids who just, you know, still at, you know, five to eight, whatever, still want to co-sleep, like don't, you know, they struggle to learn that self-regulation, even when they're having bouts of brain development, when, you know, the typical kid, again, hate that term, but, you know, the, the standards rate of neurological development would say around that age, they would be able to sleep on their own and regulate themselves a bit better. They mm -hmm. still need that, um, that co-regulation from their caregiver mm -hmm. to feel safe in the environment. Right. So, Co-regulation works to the benefit of the baby to a certain point, but if there's still needs later on, then that's a clue that you need to work on vagal tone. Yeah, yeah. Got it. I mean, all kids at some point will need some co-regulation, right? Like, again, it's a spectrum. Mm. Um, it's working out um, and trusting that intuition that, this is this is beyond what a normal response should be like i feel like my child is not responding you know like yeah like you've filled up the love cup you've had a great chat over brekkie there have been cuddles in bed maybe you know the morning was loving and then there's huge amounts of separation anxiety or yeah. screaming because they can't get to sleep unless they're in your bed yeah that kind of exactly yeah line drawn and reality check okay well let's look at this yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Got it. And then what about um, with neurodivergent uh, cases, uh, ADHD, autism, etc.? What is the role of uh, vagal nerve toning and work on the vagus nerve for those kids? Um, so the, my favourite thing to see in practice, I see a lot of kids on the spectrum um, and the one really big part of the vagus nerve is, um, it's called the social engagement system. It's, you know, um, making eye contact, wanting to communicate with other people, wanting to, um, form friendships, um, you know, human connection. And so working with a child, um, on the spectrum who has, um, issues in that or struggles with that social connection you know they they may be go going really amazingly at school and everything but they're still playing by themselves and not really making friends etc upregulating the vagus nerve can start to um, create that interest in mm. other humans um, which is a really beautiful thing to see mm. and so does that come down to the sense that one can be safe through connection Instead yeah. of connection being a very stress-inducing um, interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How special. Yeah. That's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah. So the vagus nerve tells your brain 
um, you know, I am safe. Basically, I'm safe in this environment. So, you know, kids who are overstimulated with other people and noise and light and sensations, you know, um, any sensory auditory processing stuff, um, that, that stuff makes them feel dysregulated and unsafe. So by helping their vagus nerve um, kind of recalibrate and get stronger, so to speak, then even in those moments, they can their, their nervous system can be saying, oh, I, am, I actually am safe right now. You know, I might not like this bright light or this noise, but it's not going to set my system off completely. I still feel safe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember teaching my little guy how to take a deep breath when the vacuum cleaner went on. <laughs> We just take a deep breath. And then sometimes that didn't work. I'd say, why don't you just sing your favourite song super loud? (laughs) And he used to belt out some horrific wiggle song and... Um, but it would work and uh, and it's kind of like often we're doing these things, we don't even realise what we're doing to help our child, but you interview an expert a few years later and you're like, oh, I was helping him tone his vagus nerve. There we go. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So I'm interested to also ask you about birth delivery style and circumstance uh, around uh, how it affects the vagus nerve from day dot. Uh, And even in pregnancy, stress, you know, maybe the woman is in a very stressful, high-powered job. How early and how much of an impact do these earlier events have on fetuses and babies? Mm -hmm. Um, there is growing research regarding stress during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is something that I say upfront, release the guilt. Like we're all in this culture where we're doing, doing, doing. Yeah, everyone's doing um, their best. And yeah, and we often don't have the luxury of not working while we're pregnant, right? Oh, of we course. Don't, often it's the time where you're working more than ever to stockpile so that yeah. you've got enough money to take <laughs> yeah. a few months off. Yeah. So we're all kind of, yeah, we're all knee deep in this um, this culture of hustle and busyness and stress. Um, there's a few, like I could talk about this topic alone all day, but there's a few things that happen is lots of pregnant mums or lots of mums with new babies come in and say, I wasn't stressed when I was pregnant. And then after the first consult, they go home and they think about it and they go, do you know what? I was, I was really stressed. But the thing is our nervous system is so smart at adapting. We just slowly adapt to that state and it becomes our familiar. So we don't even recognise a lot of the time that our nervous system is in this heightened state all the time. Um, so it's good just to recognise that. Um, but secondly, what's coming out in the research is what they're, um, what they're researching is the level of cortisol in the mum while she's pregnant, so cortisol being stress hormone, and then checking the baby, um, checking the baby's heart rate variability, which is basically a score of um, how, how strong or, um, you know, is, does your baby have high vagal tone, which is good, or low vagal tone, which means it's struggling. So is and the heart rate variability or HRV, as is abbreviated, directly correlated with vagus nerve tone? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that note, that's why it's becoming the vagus nerve is kind of an up and coming thing because everyone has this tech now mm. that can check their own HRV at home, whereas in the past, it's only been done in a research lab. So no yeah. one can access that data. And mm. now anyone can really. Now it's right there on your Oura ring or whatever <laughs> thing you use. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, so what they find is that mums who had high cortisol levels throughout their pregnancy tend to have babies with a lower HRV score. Huh. Yeah. So they're starting to notice what happens to a baby's vagus nerve purely from pregnancy stress alone. Interesting. Very Um, interesting. Yeah. Um, When it comes to the birth itself, um, the thing that I, you know, I I know a lot of mums hold, you know, expectations around their birth and they have um, guilt or disappointment when it doesn't go to plan. (laughs) Um, 
the reality is that one moment in time is unlikely to affect your baby's vagus nerve that much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, birth trauma is subjective. Yep. You know, it's all about our perception of that. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter how traumatic or, you know, perfect the birth was. If you perceive that trauma, then that's, um, that's your body responding in a stress response. Gotcha. And again, if you can't get out of that, that's your mm. vagus nerve not being able to support your own stress response. Mm. But I'm not, um, I feel like the birth itself, um, it may, you know, have a slight influence on the baby's vagal tone, but uh, I personally think that it's more the pregnancy, you know, how we marinate our babies yeah, as opposed to the moment that they come out of our body. Yeah. And I think uh, this is when uh, prenatal classes and doing a really great program like She Births uh, with the wonderful Nadine uh, Richardson uh, or um, the one I did, I can't even remember what it was called, Calm Birth. Uh, I did that one, um, which was all the rage for the hippie mums to be back in, <laughs> back in 12 years ago. Uh, and I remember because I had a really traumatic uh, birth by anyone else's standards looking from the outside in. It was, you know, two days of, of every possible level from the birth centre to the delivery for, to the delivery suite to the operating theatre for an emergency C in the end and um, ICU beginning for Seb. And uh, I remember telling my story, you know, when you were all in the new mother's group and everyone shares their birth story and everyone kind of went a bit silent when I went through all the details of mine and I was like, but we're here and we're healthy. And I just, I did not feel that it was uh, traumatic. I was just vying for healthy mum, healthy baby as the outcome. We were very grateful to have that. and, uh, And that was what we focused on. Uh, and I genuinely believe a lot of that prenatal meditation work, relaxation work uh, contributed to that uh, because I remember in the delivery suite after the, th- the eighth hour straight of, um, I think it's OxyContin, where they were trying to induce contractions and dilate me and it just was, wasn't happening. Um, so I'd had super high-level high contractions every 15 minutes for eight hours. And one of the midwives said to the new consulting um, obstetrician that came in, she did calm birth and (laughs) sort of (laughs) nodded and went, oh, okay, right. That's, that's how she's doing this, like surviving it really. I was napping between contractions. And so I really, um, I really uh, believe what you said there about it's perceived trauma versus actual, because sometimes if, you can work to say, I can't believe I get to bring a baby into the world rather than I can't believe the way I brought my baby into the world wasn't perfect. Um, Those are two very different things in terms of how we then imprint on our psyche uh, moving forward what the birth experience was. Mm. Wow, so interesting. Uh, So we've... We've talked about quite a few things and I wouldn't mind going uh, into a little bit more detail on um, symptoms that might suggest vagus nerve support for babies because babies are a little bit harder to read. And you did mention startled babies. Uh, I actually think of my bub who was a terrible daytime napper. Like he would just have those kips and he just never seemed to be able to get into a deep sleep during the day. I'd imagine that that would have been one of the signs as well. Have you got any others? Yeah. Um, so the big ones for babies that I see mostly in practice are, um, yeah, um, catnapping or waking frequently overnight. Um hard to get to unwind you know those babies that are just always alert and a bit wired you know they can't seem to drop down even into a like a calm state um babies who um cry the moment they're put down so you know mum wants to go have a quick shower or whatever um the, the moment the baby's on the floor starts crying you know just can't stand to be away from their caregiver Um, A big one is babies who, and this goes for toddlers and older kids too, who um, seem really uncomfortable around other people, even if it's, say, family members that they've seen a number of times, 
but kind of that deer in headlights look that, okay, I'm just going to stay with my mum. I don't feel comfortable around these people who should be familiar to me. So the, the kind of like freeze response. Um, and then we've got, um, you know, things like digestive problems. So by the time mums, you know, find out about chiropractic, they've often, if they've got an irritable baby, they've, they've been through a number of other practitioners already. Yeah, it's often and, the last person yeah. they come to see, right? <laughs> So, you know, a lot of them may have removed a bunch of foods from their diet, but not seeing any change. So the mm. big sign is that you keep removing foods, but your baby's still having digestive problems. So it's probably not the food that's the problem. It's probably how that food's being processed. And that's yeah. part of what the vagus nerve does. Vagus nerve locks up that digestive system and puts it on a halt, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 It's happened to me through the mold experience a number mm. of times. Yeah, you're just like, oh, yep, I definitely got molded because I now feel like I have a brick in my stomach. Great. Yeah, or you end up with histamine issues, eczema or things like that because it's just coming out some other way. Correct, yeah. Mm. yeah. Interesting. Mm. And um, so I bet you wish, God, I wish you'd come to see me before you went and saw all those other people. would have saved you a bunch of trauma and private Facebook groups trying to try all these sorts of diets. I, and Yeah, I do feel really sorry for the mums that feel like they're, you know, at the end of their tether and um, really it's just been the vagus nerve all along. Mm-hmm. Mm. And how often is it the vagus nerve all along, like in terms of, People you've seen, if you had to have a rough stab at the percentages where you say, no, I will have to send you off, I think you should go and see this health professional next versus let's work on vagal term and then they start to see amazing results. Yeah, to be honest, I feel like my um, stats would be quite biased because yeah, of course. Yeah. people who come to me have seen lots of other people mm. already. Um, it's, I would say maybe... Um, you know, there, there is a growing understanding um, of people who come to me first because they've seen my Instagram or whatever and they're like, that really resonated with me. I want to try you first. But I would say that probably 90% of the kids that I see have a vagus nerve problem. Wow. But they are the, the most irritable, high needs, like digestive stuff. You know, they're, they're in my practice for a reason. Of course. Um, there's a whole bunch of babies who um, won't have it. And often if I see, say, a, a mum during pregnancy and then I check her baby immediately after and I know the pregnancy has been pretty chilled and, you know, she's been, um, her vagus nerve is quite, you know, we've been working on her vagus nerve. So she's pretty calibrated. Um, I often get, like, surprised when I see babies who don't have a vagus nerve problem. Mm -hmm. But that's just because my lens is, you know, the, the demographic of like the symptoms and baby that I, that I generally see is vagus nerve. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So something came up with Kirsty Worth a couple of weeks ago that we had a giggle about on the show because vagus nerve invariably comes up with Kirsty. Um, she's so passionate about neuroimmunology herself. Um, and uh, we were talking about all the different ways you can tone the vagus nerve. Obviously singing is one of them um, and getting that vibration in the back of the throat any way you can, whether it's chanting, om, kundalini, uh, gargling, whatever it might be. And uh, I said, oh, do you know, I think that's why I survived my teen years intact, which just I was a member of every possible singing ensemble that existed oh, I love that. Yeah. loved music when I was a teen and uh, was a songwriter for a bit there and then uh, my son uh, was massively into musical theatre um, from very small like he would know all the words to Mary Poppins age three or you know be able to sing whole songs from Frozen and make me replay them again and again and I wonder whether these uh, things are intrinsically attractive to humans at a subliminal level because we know we need them from a really deep place. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think we know we need them and um, it makes us feel good afterwards. 
Um, so that's that's something I say to the pregnant mums that I have in my practice. I'm like, I don't actually care what you do. I just care that you do it. And it's that thing that brings you that joy. And you'll find if you look at them all, it's usually all things that support vagus nerve function. So it might be as simple as taking a dip in the cold ocean or um, singing um, or hugging, you know, co-regulating with someone. Um, all of these things that um yeah they all stimulate the vagus nerve so i think we know what we need and they're often the first things that we stop doing if we're stressed mm. <laughs> um but they're the things that we need the most during times of stress mm, so good and you mentioned dipping in the cold ocean like for a lot of people that makes them feel stressed just the thought of it you know I'm just picturing like being on the water's edge freezing cold ocean and you're like ha, 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 ha. and like that does not feel relaxing so how does that tone our vagus nerve it's the um the drop in temperature um particularly if it's over the face so you know for those of you who don't like dipping in the ocean you might like to try just splashing your face with some cold water say at the end of your shower or um, you know, as you're getting ready for the day. Um, what that does is that the um, decrease in temperature stimulates the vagus nerve to start mm -hmm. waking up a little bit. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay, I'm just biohacking myself here. <laughs> With chronic inflammation stemming from long-term mold exposure that was about eight years long, um, I have noticed since the camel that broke, the straw that broke the camel's back happened about five years ago now for me, that winter has become my absolute favourite time of year. It's so much more relaxing to me. I feel so comfortable and relaxed in the cold compared to the heat. Is that because it helps to stimulate my vagus nerve, do you think? In part, yes. How interesting is that? Yeah. Because I was always a face the summer girl before then. Yes. And now I'm literally the opposite. Yeah. Summer, summer stresses me out, makes yeah. me think of humidity and mold and horrible things. And I'm like, no, I just want it to be really cold. There is some research around um, genetics and mitochondrial health that um, some people, their mitochondria prefer the colder climates as well. They work better in the colder climates. So you might find that genetically, um, you also have that. So your mitochondria are like having a party in winter and yeah. summer probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just, I notice it across so many different things like tennis. I can play an hour and a half, no problems in the winter, in the summer, lucky to be able to do a 45 minute session without having a full on histamine response. Mm, so interesting. Well, I will keep working at my vagus nerve and I'm sure everyone else will out there who's starting to go, oh my gosh, some of these things are like, you know, turning on little light bulbs for me too, which I could imagine is happening out there as people listen. Um, you mentioned food in passing before. Um, and we talked about, you know, a lot of people going on elimination diets, unfortunately, sometimes before they get to you. But what about the significance of food? Because I'm sure it plays some sort of an impact, especially on babies in terms of the way we start. And there's a lot of conflicting information about the way we should start food with babies these days. And there's nothing worse than a parent who then gets themselves confused, um, like a woman at a perfume counter who's been shown too many perfumes, and then you just have no idea. I mean, obviously no one should wear any synthetic perfumes at all, but it's a good example to kind of say sometimes we have so many ideas thrown at us that we then feel completely disempowered and have no idea how to feed our own child, which is a horrible way to start life. Do you have any ideas as a practitioner who's looked into this very specifically, uh, what, what parents can do to feel a bit more empowered in this time to really know what's going to help? Yes. Um, there are a few things when it comes to food. And again, some of this is, you know, research. It doesn't necessarily apply to current life. And I say that because, you know, a lot of the research says that what we eat during our pregnancy it creates a preference in our baby before they even eat food for themselves because they taste and smell our, um, our amniotic fluid, which has um, what we eat in it. So, you know, there's some theories that 
you know, if you want your baby to eat broccoli, for example, then you should be eating broccoli while you're pregnant. Um, it doesn't mean your baby will eat broccoli, but it means your baby will have tasted it and been exposed to it and be more likely to take it on. Um, so like phase one is around um, what we eat during pregnancy, but that's not always, you know, like sometimes in pregnancy, all you can stomach is hot chips and Coca-Cola or whatever it is, you know? So um, again, not the be all and end all, but it does help in terms of food preferences. Um, when it comes to introducing food to your baby directly, um, I have a few simple rules that I um, talk to mums about. Number one is, you know, starting with whole foods. So nothing processed, um, simple fruit, veg, meat, fat blend the ratios. So a lot of parents um, and a lot of advice out there is to start on say white rice cereal or some kind of um, fruit. The thing is our babies are already naturally primed to love sweet food. So really to get our baby to love meats and fats and vegetables, we need to be starting them on those things really early and exposing them um, straight away. So I actually recommend starting more with, say, broths and um, meats and vegetables before then you start introducing your fruits. And the other thing that I just recommend is um, the ratios. So not 100% carb, not 100% fat, but blending a carb, a fat and a protein together into a meal means that that's going to stimulate their gut bacteria, their gut flora to be able to handle all three food groups. It's going to en enable them to develop the, um, the enzymes you need to break them all down. You know, these first few months of introducing food is just about teaching their body how to process it. So by doing a wide variety, particularly from the three different food groups, is you, um, you get to stimulate their gut flora and their enzymes so that they, they don't develop, um, you know, the risk of, say, giving baby too many high-carb foods straight away is that that's going to only stimulate the gut flora that digest high-carb foods and then they're going to continue to have that preference because that's what their digestive system prefers. So setting them up with um, yeah, a large variety from the get-go just establishes their gut flora and their enzymes to be able to process everything. Mm, so important. And, I mean, it's just crazy that we ever let ourselves be marketed to that anything other than that was the right thing to do, isn't it? It's yeah. crazy. Just think of all that, like, you know, I was a toddler in Chicago and that was the mid seventies and it was all about the Farex rice cereal. And that was the best start for your baby. And, you know, my mom was a first time mom, like all the first time moms out there. We just, we didn't know back then that marketing wasn't the truth either. We thought, oh, this is such a great company helping me feed my baby. Um, and it's much more recent that we've actually started to realise these are highly constructed narratives uh, that serve as profit, <laughs> profit engines, rather than uh, the true and best way to support our kids. So um, that's such an important one to remind us of. So thank you for that. Um, so obviously I can't ask you how you treat babies and kids in clinic, because that's going to look quite different uh, to what we're all able to do on a day-to-day -day basis at home. But if we've heard some things in today's chat that is, is starting to make us think, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I definitely think I could bring some, some vagus nerve work into my family's life, what would that look like for a little toddler um, and then for a slightly older child or maybe even a teen uh, in terms of supporting them and making it something fun to do together? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing in any small child, so babies and toddlers, even school-age kids, is the co-regulation. It's the eye contact and the cuddles and, um, you know, those simple things that we can add into our day that help them feel safe. And the more that they experience those, the more 
they learn that they're safe. You know, it's like the neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more they get that message, the more their vagus nerve goes, oh yeah, I'm safe. So um, I feel like in kids, co-regulation is the best thing that you can do for them. Um, when you get older, <clears throat> and actually this goes for all age groups, the like the easiest thing you can do is, as you say, find something that you love, whether that's um, the singing, you know, sing together, have a little dance party together. Um, in older kids, a really simple hack is ensuring that they look really far into the distance. So we spend most of our time on devices. You know, you think about a typical high school student, how often they're looking oh, at goodness. Yeah. close up. Um, that short vision can kind of cause some um some aggravation to the area of the brain that the vagus nerve connects to. So by getting them to stop and look far into the distance and kind of recalibrate their nervous system, um, it takes like, you know, five seconds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but that can just help to recalibrate their nervous system. That's um, so interesting you say that one because uh, we lived in a, uh, a home that had uh, homes around it and no outlook for a couple of years. And then we moved and we had a whole outlook over quite a wide and far ranging vista. And I would just ah, sigh looking out the kitchen window and just feel so happy to be able to see far out. So that I, I reckon that that safety must be linked to our hunter gatherer days where if you can see out to the distance and you can see there are no predators, you can relax. Whereas if you can't see further than a couple of metres, you don't know what's out there and you'd be more stressed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Like being caged in. <laughs> wow. This is yeah. so fabulously nerdy. Yeah. I love it. But it just helps us all realise what our day-to-day -day could look like um, and what we might need to be trying to, you know, actively tweak. Yeah. The other one that's really easy to do um, and this is a great one to do with a child who say can't wind down before sleep mm -hmm. is um, horizontal eye movement. So we spend all of our time scrolling up and down and our eyes are just moving in a vertical plane, mm -hmm. but holding our eye on a fixed position to one side. So say for example, turning your eyes to the right, finding something that you can just like, fixate on so your eyes aren't moving and holding that there until you feel that sigh that you just described mm, or that yeah. release in your body and then swapping sides to the left-hand side. This stimulates the vagus nerve as well. Um, and it's, again, it probably takes less than a minute to do. It's just adding it into your day. You know, it's the, the addition of that habit. Mm. Um, that's the hard part but then once it's in your day, it's super easy to do um, and it doesn't really take up too much time but it just makes the nervous system feel so good. Yeah. And it is awesome that holding a, a fixed position to the side and then doing the other side. And uh, you can definitely do it as a game with your kids, especially, you know, once they're over three or four and say, we're going to wait until we either feel a need to sigh or yawn. I wonder who's going to do it first. And um, you can kind of, and then they're looking and they're concentrating and they go, ah, and they're like, oh, you do it first. And it can be a fun thing to do. I'm always into gamifying things with kids to motivate them. I think it makes it totally, totally yeah. more motivating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. So I have one or two more little questions here. And one was, uh, raising kids, obviously quite an intense time, especially if you've decided to have multiple children and quite close together and young, you know, you feel like you're groundhog daying the toddler years and all of the crazy to-dos that come with raising super mm. tiny humans. And, of course, we've signed up for it, so we want to do it, but it is a very intense time. How can parents ensure we maintain our vagus nerve tone? Is it the same as the suggestions you've made for kids? Uh, the things that we can add in that a, a, an adult will just tolerate better and be more likely to be able to stick to? What have you got for us? <laughs> um, definitely the looking into the distance one, super mm -hmm. easy to do. Um, for adults, it's about um, finding something that, 
you find joyful. Like you're mm. not doing it because you have to. Yeah. You're doing it because you love to. And again, don't really mind what that is as long as it resonates with you. That could be a five-minute dip in the ocean or a one-hour yoga class, like whatever suits your time, budget, etc. energy. Um, the other thing that I really love doing, um, I'm a certified heart math practitioner. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Love heart math. <laughs> yeah. And heart math breathing exercises are really beautiful. Um, so you can jump on their website. They have a bunch of free um, mm, they're really good things um, to learn how to integrate a few of those um, breathing exercises into your day. Um, so you could start your day with one because we know that um, when you're more regulated, your kids are more regulated as well. So, um, you know, uh, starting your day, setting your nervous system up with one, or um, there are quick coherent type breathing exercises you can do in the moment of stress so say you know your baby's crying your toddler's having a breakdown and you're trying to just you know maybe make them a sandwich or whatever like there's too much happening then there's a quick breathing exercise you can do in that moment the more coherent and um regulated you are then that's going to influence the whole situation Mm, so true and actually the toddler having the breakdown um reminded me of this thing that went viral that I saw last year where a dad didn't say a word and the little girl was just having a complete meltdown and he just held her through the meltdown until she was able to kind of just go <laughs> you know you hear that little kind of breathe and then the sigh and then um, down regulate herself in the safety of the arms of her dad and it was just such a beautiful thing to see and I think so often we're trying to find solutions and talk our kids off those breakdown ledges um, when they're not able to be talked to right then. They can't compute anything. And uh, a good old-fashioned hug is, even if you might be frustrated with how they're behaving or the response that they've had, uh, is like the shortcut to calm. Yeah, yeah. You definitely can't rationalise with a dysregulated child. Mm. Um, you need to get them off that ledge first. <laughs> mm -hmm. Get them off the ledge, then have a chat. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So much gold in this, uh, in this chat. Thank you so much, Carrie. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you if there was one thing that you wished everyone did, baby, child, teen, parent, adult, every day to lead a healthier life, what would it be? Oh. <laughs> I told you I was putting you on the spot. <laughs> We've just come um, so many things. So I just like what's going to float to the top for you as like a real boon? You know what? Honestly, um, in my opinion, it all comes down to what we do when we're pregnant. Mm -hmm. yeah okay. which I know like people can't change that right now that's why I was like oh I need yeah. to do something else but realistically that if we can prioritize and um, make pregnancy more sacred and give mums that space you know it's a cultural shift but that would be my vision for the world's Vegas mm. that would like change you know it would change the world um, in day-to-day -day, I would say the big thing that um, I see culturally now is that, um, you know, if I get someone on the HRV about 20 seconds in, what happens is their heart rate um, or their coherence bottoms out and they go into a dysregulated state. Mm -hmm. That's usually that feeling that we feel when we're like, oh, I need to do something. I'm just going to scroll my Instagram or mm -hmm. I'm just going to like mindlessly do something. Yeah. So what I would encourage people to do is sit with that feeling and breathe through it. Um, you know, box breathing or a heart math breathing, whatever breathing technique works for you to able to regulate yourself without soothing yourself with your tech, because that's probably our biggest problem at the moment. Oh, I like that one. That's like a, oh, <laughs> for a lot of people out there, it's like, uh-huh, okay, yep probably need to do that. Um, but I love that you mentioned pregnancy. Please don't feel guilty about that because while many of us might have had our babies yonks ago or even recently and been stressed out of our minds, until we actually start talking about how important that is, um, we can't pave the way for future pregnancies to be held more sacred 
and to build more relaxation uh, into those. Uh, I think it's so important. And often you speak to pregnant women and they almost have like a, a, a repulsion of stress. I remember I did as well. I was like, no, nah, that's not coming into my field. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like I would soothe myself with all of my favourite shows from my childhood. So oh. I watched like the whole series of Family Ties and The Nanny and like just all this stuff that we watched when we were kids to just be calm and happy every day. And I think, uh, I think it's such a helpful thing to be reminded how important that is. Uh, because it's not easy uh, in if you're in a busy modern culture like many of us are uh, to change that culture until we see the problems that it's causing. And I think our generation of parents and those probably even 10 years younger than me are really seeing uh, just how detrimental um, our culture is on our children's health uh, compared to just one generation ago where we had many more parents where the mum was staying at home for a lot of the later part of the pregnancy and very, very chill. Uh, it's just not that story anymore for many, many people and it's um, we need to prioritise it. So I'm glad you made that your number one. Please don't feel guilty. Thanks, Carrie. That was such a great chat. And uh, I look forward to having people connect with your work. You're on Instagram, et cetera. Um, what's your handle on there so people can connect with you? Yep, it's Dr. Dr. Carrie Rigoni. Brilliant. And we've got all those details in the show notes as well. Thanks, Carrie. Beautiful. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's Stuart S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 Euro and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in. <laughs>